Did you know that the license for the Pulse Club expired in 2013? That its legal occupancy was only 150? That if 50 had been killed and 53 wounded, there should have been abandoned cars all over the place? Did you know that the Dallas photograph of a series of officers behind a large wall was photoshopped? That they had to increase the size of the wall to fit the officers in? That they had orange blank adapters on their weapons? Did you know that Hillary has used body doubles? One following her collapse at the 9-11 event was two inches shorter, weighed 35 to 40 pounds less, and looked at least 10 years younger? A Meg Ryan type. A second on the plane to Greensboro was taller and slimmer and looked more like Meryl Streep. We approve it all. Don't let yourself be played. Check out From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond. Hi, this is Gary King. If you're interested in the book From Orlando to Dallas and Beyond, then all of my contact information is at PatriotRadioBooks.com. There's a new bookstore in town. PatriotRadioBooks.com. Warning. We don't give a hoot about taboo. All we seek is truth. And we will follow her rivers wherever they flow. Beyond yours or my comfort zones. Beyond mainstream and corporate-sponsored lies. Beyond disguise. Beyond the haze in the skies. Definitely beyond the veil. Buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Hello again, veterans of our voyages and newcomers. We've reached cruising altitude. This week we continue the narrative as we dive deeper past more layers of the Matrix veils. This captain and ship of a show explores all aspects of climate engineering, which necessitates the exposing of other shady government cover-ups along the way. Since we learned vaccines are in the process of being distributed via the chemtrail vector, our last two trips explored the vaccine veil of lies and a few of the many agendas behind it. One agenda that has come up that is the harder pill for most people to swallow is the depopulation agenda. We will examine this claim and see that it goes beyond the desire to control population levels, but to control which population levels will be allowed to remain None of this is news, it's a matter of history, documented history, and it's even a highly studied and once greatly respected science that was made unpopular by Hitler. Now the purveyors of this population control science have brought it back in vogue, albeit mostly couched in language that won't alarm the layman. Eugenics, the elitist science that birthed not only Planned Parenthood, but People like Bill Gates, for instance, who continues his father, William H. Gates Sr.'s work in population control, using vaccines. But don't take my word for it. Uh, Over 26 billion tons. Uh, For each American, it's about 20 tons. Uh, For people in poor countries, it's less than one ton. It's an average of about five tons 
for everyone on the planet. And somehow we have to make changes that will bring that down to zero. It's been constantly going up. It's only various economic changes that have even flattened it at all. So we have to go from rapidly rising to falling and falling all the way to zero. This equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out uh, per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Uh, that's back from high school algebra. But let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. But there we see an increase of uh, about 1.3. The second factor is the services we use. This encompasses everything. The food we eat, clothing, TV, uh, heating. These are very good things. Uh, getting rid of poverty means providing these services to almost everyone on the planet. And it's a great thing uh, for this number to go up. In the rich world, perhaps the top one billion, we probably could cut back and use less. But every year, this number on average is going to go up. Okay, Bill Gates is an open advocate of depopulation. He's pretty open about that. And he's also an open advocate of vaccines. And recently at a TED conference, he basically said that through using vaccines, as, as well as improved health care and um, reproductive health, which means abortion, uh, you could reduce the population growth. So a lot of websites have seized on this to say, aha, the vaccines are sterilizing people. And Bill Gates used vaccines to lower population. And here you can watch the TED video for yourself. Okay, here's what he actually said. The world today has 6.8 billion people. That's heading up to, a, up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, abortion, we could lower that by perhaps 10 to 15 percent. Okay, this is the Gavi website. Our mission to save children's lives and protect people's health by increasing access to immunization in poor countries. Alliance members include Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And this is what they say, our global health strategies. Our efforts in global health aim to harness advances in science and technology to save lives in developing countries. We work with partners to deliver proven tools such as vaccines, drugs, and diagnostics, and to invent new solutions where they don't exist. We invest heavily in vaccines across our portfolio in the hope that one day they can be used to prevent HIV, malaria, and TB, wipe out polio, and help save children from dying of diarrhea and pneumonia. Okay, so as you can see, Gavi and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are all about vaccines. But let's let Bill Gates explain himself about how he figures that vaccines are going to reduce the population without being used to sterilize people. He says, well, the most exciting thing I've learned when I was just getting into philanthropy was that if you reduce childhood deaths, you improve health in a society that surprisingly population growth goes down. And that's because a parent needs to have some children survive into adulthood to take care of them when they're old. And so if they think having six children is what they need to do to have at least two survive, that's what they'll do. And amazingly, across the entire world, as health improves, then the population growth is actually, actually is reduced. You don't have to have six children to end up with two, because that would be a 75% child mortality rate. And we don't have that. Even in the countries with the highest... Uh, child mortality rates, such as Mali, uh, 1990 in Mali, it was 25, and now it's gone down to about 19%. So by reducing child mortality, women will have fewer children, and that's going to reduce population growth. Hmm. You have 25% of children 
under 5 die in Mali. You vaccinate them all, this solves the problem. None of them die, or very few of them die. And then you're going to have a 25% decline in population growth. So if you have a 25% decline in the birth rate and uh, 25% fewer children die, then you end up at the same place. So you'd have to reduce the population growth by a lot more than just the lives that the vaccines will supposedly save. No? Okay, let's go back to the Gavi website. Science and philanthropy help make strides in combating rotavirus. For the release of a new study chronicling the successful testing of a safe rotavirus vaccine, combined with a $10 billion donation over 10 years announced by the Gates Foundation at the World Economic Forum last week, may help stop rotavirus from claiming so many young lives. But is it really a vaccine that they need? Is it really the vaccine that's going to solve the problem of children dying from dehydration, from diarrhea in the third world? Well, if you look at the statistics from Mali, percentage of people using improved drinking water sources from 2006 is 60. 60% have decent water to drink. So 40% have non-drinkable water to drink. You're going to introduce this vaccine to a place like Mali? Rotavirus isn't the only thing that can cause diarrhea. So what are you going to do, vaccinate them against everything that's in their water? Why don't you just give them clean water? What's really strange here is the argument is sort of the reverse of what's usually made. Normally the argument is that by reducing the size of the population, you'll improve the health of the remaining population. That's what the depopulationists usually like to argue. So Bill Gates is kind of like doing it backwards. I don't believe him. Uh, UNFPA calls for abortion to decrease child mortality, increase education. Okay, the UN Population Fund, I would call it the UN Depopulation Fund personally, uh, the report claims that child mortality will be reduced if there are fewer living children and calls for reproductive rights to achieve the goal of having fewer living children who might then get sick and die. Right, reproductive rights is right not to reproduce. This has been studied, though. The effect of fertility reductions on infant and child mortality evidence from MATLAB in rural Bangladesh. The notion that lower fertility leads to improved maternal and child health has long been an important rationale for national and international support of family planning programs, i.e. abortion. The results show that fertility reductions have little effect on neonatal and post-neonatal mortality, possibly a small effect on toddler mortality, and a significant and relatively large impact on the mortality of children aged between two and four years. So how much did this actually, does this actually affect uh, child mortality? Because a lot of the time, or most of the time, uh, the majority of deaths are in small children. So um, I don't know how much they really accomplish here. So I guess I'll just sum it up this way, that what Bill Gates is saying he's doing is by providing vaccines, lower child mortality, and for that reason, women will have fewer children because they need to have fewer in order to have more survive. Does that make sense? But the problem is that the disease is not only from lack of vaccines, the disease is from undernutrition, starvation, uh, lack of... And he's pushing vaccines. We're just, just going to, you know, they might supposedly save a few lives in the short term, although those lives could be saved other ways. But in the long term, you're probably going to have a lot more disease and infertility down the road. Sometimes called the American Stonehenge, the astronomically aligned Georgia Guidestones located in Elbert County, Georgia, contain 10 guidelines for the future of humanity. The Guidestones, which were defaced in 2008 by protesters, were originally built in 1980 after an unknown person going by the pseudonym R.C. Christian instructed Elberton Granite Finishing Company to build the structure. The most ominous guideline reads, quote, Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature, a figure which of course couldn't possibly be achieved without either mass genocide or draconian and long-lasting programs of population control even more extreme than the one-child policy in China, which is enforced via punitive financial penalties 
and brutal state-sponsored kidnappings and forced abortion. Indeed, the official guidebook to the Georgia Guidestones lists the purpose of the monument as a message to the world of the pressing, quote, need to control human numbers via, quote, control of child-bearing by programs of population control instituted by governments worldwide as part of a move towards the establishment of, quote, an effective world government. So this monument is basically an homage to a world dictatorship which would impose population control measures on humanity as part of a creepy, authoritarian, Brave New World-style cradle-to-grave tyranny dressed up as a utopia. And it's rife with hypocrisy, because the very things that have proven to naturally reduce population growth and increase prosperity, development, trade, economic growth, energy exploration and industrial food production have all been denied to the third world by this very same elite. And of course, if you've actually studied this issue from a statistical and demographic standpoint, the overpopulation bomb is a complete myth. As Professor Hans Rosling authoritatively documented in his presentation, Don't Panic! The Truth About Population, the problems of rapid population growth and poverty are being alleviated by technology and the raising of living standards in many of the poorest countries of the world. The real problem after 2050 will be underpopulation, and indeed several governments, most notably Russia, have in recent years been begging their population to have more children because of this already unfolding underpopulation crisis. So why do you think a new block which reads 2014 has been added to the Georgia Guidestones? What kind of message does this send? Let me know in the comments below. Check out the other videos, subscribe to the channel. I'm Paul Joseph Watson reporting for Infowars.com. Now, in addition to monopolizing the financial sector, the British Empire also infiltrated our universities, promoting people like Charles Darwin, T.H. Huxley, Malthus, and the idea that the world was overpopulated. You see, from the elite standpoint of the royal family, the world is overpopulated. From the elite standpoint of the royal bloodlines, we are unnecessary. You see... And especially since the Industrial Revolution and the Electronic Revolution and the Robotic Revolutions of today, human labor is totally unnecessary to the elites who actually control the finances of the world. Nevertheless, with the likes of Darwin, this idea of social Darwinism crept into America and there was open eugenics policies, sterilization policies for American citizens who weren't up to par in the eyes of the state. They were sterilized. All over the United States, they had these policies of sterilization programs under the eugenical type of mindset of Charles Darwin. Well, 17, aren't you, Alice? Yes. But what have you done with my folks? Well, we're trying to help them, Alice, and you too. They were taken to the hospital this afternoon. Hospital? Wasn't well, none of them sick this morning. We thought it necessary to present your family's case to the State Medical Commission. Not to an examination. They decided there was but one important action to take. To have your entire family sterilized. Why, what's that? I don't know what you're talking about. Now, in this state, we have a law which provides for such people to have an operation so there won't be any more children. I see. Now, we place your brothers in institutions where they'll be properly cared for. But you can go back to your job, soon. I'll arrange to have it held open for you. But I'm keeping my job. I'm not going anywhere. Now, you're going to the hospital, too, Alice. And you mean they're going to stop me from having children ever? Exactly. I'm all right, I tell you. I won't go to any hospital. We don't want any trouble with you, young woman. If you refuse to go, the officer here will take you by force. In the case of Miss Mason, I can see no reason for the operation that's been recommended. The girl is perfectly normal. She's hardworking and has a good reputation. Do you know anything about her family background? Oh, yes, Your Honor, I do. There are several other children, aren't there? Yes. What is their condition? One is a cripple, two others might be classed as feeble-minded. Isn't the oldest son in jail? Oh, yes, I believe so. And knowing all that, you still contend that this girl should be allowed to bring more people like that into the world? She's sound, Your Honor. She's not anything like the rest. Surely she should be given a chance to work out her own salvation. I can't agree with you, Doctor. Suppose she is normal. The chances are that her children will inherit the family taint. Isn't that possible? 
But you're on the right. I'm sorry, Doctor. Three generations of unfit are enough. Petition not allowed. Survival of the fittest. So since the elite are fit enough to deceive us through the financial system, they must have the right to rule us. But the plan was thrown off course a bit during World War II. You see the sight of Hitler dumping bodies into mass graves and starving people to death in concentration camps. It gave a, a bad name to this idea of eugenics and racial purity. The eugenic and civilization value of birth control is becoming apparent to the enlightened and the intelligent. The campaign for birth control is not merely of eugenic value, but is practically identical in ideal with the final aim of eugenics. Margaret Sanger, 1921. In her autobiography, Margaret Sanger wrote about a speech she gave in 1926 at a Ku Klux Klan rally in Silver Lake, New Jersey. Planned Parenthood founder bragged about the fact that afterward, she was invited by 12 other Klan chapters to speak at their events. At about the same time the American Birth Control League was changing its name to Planned Parenthood, a lot of books and reports began coming out that attempted to put a happy face on eugenics. And many of them were written by people that were associated with Planned Parenthood. The strategy here was obvious. Since the Nazis had turned eugenics into a four-letter word, the American eugenics movement decided it was time to lay low. So most of their writings during this time period downplayed the role of eugenics and couched their agenda in terms of helping the African-American. Perhaps the best example of this is a 1,500-page book by eugenicist Gunnar Myrdal called An American Dilemma, The Negro Problem in Modern Democracy. Commonly, it is considered a great misfortune for America that Negro slaves were ever imported. The presence of Negroes in America today is usually considered a plight of the nation. Chapter 7, page 167. All white Americans agree that if the Negro is to be eliminated, he must be eliminated slowly so as not to hurt any living individual Negroes. Chapter 7, page 168. The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Chapter 7, page 170. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. Chapter 7, page 176. One of the places where government money has been used to advance the eugenics agenda has been in the public school system. Although government-funded population control programs can be found in white schools, the evidence is that they are significantly more likely to be targeted at black schools. One example of this was seen in 1986, when it was discovered that Illinois public schools were not only distributing birth control to children, but that every one of the 50 facilities involved were in minority neighborhoods. When this information was made public, a local African-American pastor organized a campaign to stop the program. Reverend Hiram Crawford labeled the project genocide, saying that the obvious goal was to go after the Hispanic and black population. That same pattern was also found in Maryland in the 1990s. Even though the state's teen pregnancy rate was higher among white students than black students, when the contraceptive device Norplant was introduced, it was selectively marketed to children as young as 13 in predominantly black schools in Baltimore. The result was that of the first 350 girls implanted at a local middle school, 345 were African American. Then, when Norplant was approved for general distribution, of the first 100 schools selected, all 100 were in minority neighborhoods. The Norplant contraception device was developed by the Population Council in New York, which had been established in 1952 under the leadership of its president, John Rockefeller. Its next two presidents, Frederick Osborne and Frank Notstein, were both former members of the American Eugenics Society. 
and Notstein would later serve on the National Advisory Council of Planned Parenthood. Since 1973, legal abortion has killed more African Americans than AIDS, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and violent crime combined. Every week, more blacks die in American abortion clinics than were killed in the entire Vietnam War. And the largest chain of abortion clinics in the United States is operated by Planned Parenthood. We have now reached a point in this country that African-American women, though they make up 12% of the population, they account for 37% of the abortions. An African-American baby is almost five times more likely to be aborted than a white child. The abortion industry at this point kills as many African-American people every four days as the Klan killed in 150 years. And you can truly say the most dangerous place for an African-American to be is in the womb of their African-American mother. Birth control and abortion are turning out to be the great eugenic advances of our time. Frederick Osborne, founding member of the American Eugenics Society, 1973. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. Leander Perez, Louisiana State Judge, 1970. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Dale here, and uh, this is the article I have for discussion today. It's Kenya's Catholic Bishop's Tetanus Vaccine is Birth Control in Disguise. This was actually published in Washington Post, November 11th. Uh, you can go ahead and read it. But here's the top, here, here's the points in the article I got. Okay, the vaccine, supposedly the World Health Organization and UNICEF wanted to uh, uh, fund a campaign to vaccinate only women between the ages of 14 to 49. Take note of that. Those are women of childbearing age. And they only wanted to vaccinate those women against tetanus. I thought tetanus affected boys and men and younger children and older people. It affects everyone. So why that age group? Well, the Catholic bishops became suspicious and they actually uh, analyzed the vaccine, found that it was laced with human chorionic gonadotropin. It's a hormone your body produces. So when you combine HCG with the tetanus vaccine, it's actually a patented sterility or sterilization vaccine. See, when you combine those things and you give that in a vaccine, it causes repeated miscarriages and eventually sterility in females. So uh, actually Bishop Paul, the chairman of the Kenya Conference of Catholic Bishops Health Committee says we are calling on all Kenyans to avoid the tetanus vaccination campaign because we are convinced it is indeed a disguise for population control. You know what? As a Christian, I'm supporting this country and this Catholic community needs to stand up, speak out, and keep women from having the, the blessing of childbirth robbed from them. You know what? Check it out. This is this week's article discussion. What do you see as the biggest challenges in, in conservation? Well, the, the growing human population. Because if where we are, there's nothing else. And do you have views about what should be done about that? Not of guilt. Uh, well, it could be on a, on a spectrum from mass sterilization to, no, no, uh, no. to, to uh, you know, greater availability of contraception. I don't know. I don't know what your views are as to what can be done about it. Well, I think, I think uh, it might be described as voluntary family limitation.
The family subscribes to a racehorse theory of human development. When you connect two racehorses, you usually end up with a fast horse. Secretariat doesn't produce slow horses. They believe that there are superior people and that if you put together the genes of a superior woman and a superior man, you get a superior offspring. You have to have the right the right genes. I have a certain gene. I'm a gene believer. Do we believe in the gene thing? I mean, I do. I have a great genes and all that stuff, which I'm a believer in. Well, I think I was born with a drive for success. I was born with a certain intellect. The fact is, you have to be born and blessed with something up here. God helped me by giving me a certain brain. It's this. It's not my salesmanship. It's what? This. You know what that is? It's the brain power. I have Ivy League education, smart guy. I have like a very, very high aptitude. I'm pretty good at English. I always did very nicely in English. I mean, like, I'm a smart person. You're born a fighter, and I've seen a lot of people, they want to fight, but they can't. Some people cannot genetically handle pressure. I always said winning is somewhat maybe innate. Maybe it's just something you have. You know, you have the winning gene. Frankly, it'd be wonderful if you could develop it, but I'm not so sure you can. You know, I'm proud to have that German blood. There's no question about it. Great stuff. So what does all this have to do with climate engineering, chemtrails, geoengineering? Well, we have Bill Gates, the same individual who is the son of a known, renowned eugenicist, who also believes population is a problem, who recommends vaccines that he pushes globally, causing more paralysis from the vaccine than from the wild-caught polio in countries like India, participating in sterilization programs. Bill Gates is not just concerned about population levels, he's also concerned about the climate and has funneled millions, if not billions of dollars into large-scale geoengineering projects. These are the projects that are on the record. We've had projects off the record. And, And granted, what we're seeing going on now is bad enough. But if they unleash an official, unrestrained geoengineering program, everything will be unleashed. There will be no normalizing it or doing it via ingredients in your jet fuel additives and making it look natural. Right now they're working really hard to thread it and make it look natural, but we're we're not going to get into that in this show. So Bill Gates is uh, funding a very controversial experiments solar geoengineering techniques are highly controversial while some climate scientists believe they may prove a quick and relatively cheap way to slow global warming others fear that when conducted in the upper atmosphere they could irrevocably alter rainfall patterns and interfere with the earth's climate well that's what we are seeing now isn't it isn't it Harvard researchers are preparing to geoengineer the atmosphere. Did you just hear that? Harvard researchers are preparing to geoengineer the atmosphere. Now, we've, we, we know that this has been going on for quite a bit, and we know that it's going to get a lot worse, don't we? A team of researchers is preparing a first-of-its-kind field experiment in the hotly debated area of solar geoengineering, the controversial idea to combat climate change by pumping aerosols into the sky to reflect the sun's rays back into space. Hey, you know what? I remember when this was just a conspiracy theory. I I remember when so many people said, hey, you know what? I wonder what those lines are in the sky. Oh, you're nuts. That's what they said. You're nuts. You're crazy. No, no, no. Just shut up. We don't want to hear any more of your babbling conspiracy theories. Is that right? And now a team of Harvard researchers is preparing to do just that. Inject aerosols into the sky. Like it hasn't been going on all this time. Do you think we're stupid? We are not stupid. We're well informed. Yet the concept of intentionally modifying the Earth's atmosphere as a corrective for global warming is highly contentious, even among those who believe it could one day be used responsibly. 
The idea that you could even think about adjusting the temperature of the planet is terrifying, said Frank, one of the Harvard scientists leading the study. But the consequences of climate change are also quite terrifying. This is a very serious subject, and we know what the consequences of this mysterious climate change are. Climate change happens all the time. The climate changes rather violently all of the time. I mean, these researchers are referencing events even before the first industrial revolution. Well, hold on here. I thought it was because of pollution that climate change was actually happening. You see, there's something to it. There's a continual theme with it all. It is the depopulation of mankind because guess what? When you breathe, you exhale CO2. Well, they say they need to get rid of all this CO2. Well, that means you and me. The big risk with stratospheric geoengineering is unforeseen consequences, he said. A key goal, he said, is to better understand some of the risks. Frank and his colleagues plan to send a balloon equipped with sensors and propellers 20 kilometers above Earth from a launch site near Tucson, Arizona. There, the balloon will spray water into the stratosphere, creating a plume of floating ice crystals one kilometer long at 100 meters wide. Well, now, there's, there's several lines that, that already are in the sky every day. Of course, we understand that solar geoengineering is not the solution. It can't be. We have to reduce emissions. We have to mitigate. That is step one. So, in other words, we're seeing scientists and researchers who can't hide this reality of chemtrails anymore come out and say, oh yeah, we're going to use this to uh, you know, cool the planet. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sure. Obviously, this is absurd. But this new endeavor by Harvard researchers could obviously be taken as a confirmation that this has actually been going on. Now they're going to bring it to the public light, as we see quite often with their, quote, science and research. Let me know what you guys think. That's all I've got for you. God bless and carry on. Also face a new threat that the next epidemic uh, has a good chance of originating on a computer screen of a terrorist intent on using genetic engineering to create a synthetic version of the smallpox virus or a contagious, contagious and highly deadly strain of flu. So the point is that we ignore the strong link between health security and international security at our peril. Whether it occurs by the quirk of nature or at the hand of a terrorist, epidemiologists show through their models that a respiratory spread pathogen would kill more than 30 million people in less than a year. And there is a reasonable probability of that taking place in the years ahead. Fasten your seatbelts, passengers, as we return to our interview with Sterling Hill, which we had last voyage, been illuminated by regarding vaccines, the dangers of them, and what is in our food via glyphosate, and uh, which is Monsanto's Roundup, and its connection to autism and the cure, the GCAMF cure, and the suppression thereof. There was a lot more to my interview with her that I was not able to share via time concerns and some of it confidentiality. But I will continue some of that conversation today as it is relevant to this voyage's theme of eugenics. Sam Lab was a once a locally owned company that did nothing but vitamins and supplements. Well, apparently they were offered $32 million, something like that number, and, and the family sold out to Nestle, okay? And Nestle works, they're a subsidiary of Merck, okay? So I knew all this, and I had the director of PM Lab, which is actually the director of Merck's, and, you know, call me up, send me some emails and call me up, and told me he wanted to meet me since I lived in Louisiana. And I went, and I, this was a couple years ago, about three and a half years ago, four years ago, um, I went and I sat in his office with him, and I can remember when I first walked in there, there was all these cubicles, and they had like about 30 people sitting in these cubicles, and I was introduced to a lady 
to. I was told she follows everything I say on the internet. She looks at my websites. She looks at my pages, my boards, everything, and she follows everything I say. And I said, well, why does she do that? Oh, is it to get crucial information our scientists may be able to use? But now I know it to be different. And I went in with a friend of mine, Dawn, who used to be on the Chamber of Commerce at, um, at, um, in St. Tammany, who is very awake. And anyway, um, and I had a friend of mine that was um, a George Washington University um, law graduate, um, Will, do my homework on, on this guy before I went in, and he told me he was a merc puppet. That's all he was. So when we went into his room, he hit, he hit something, and he said, now I want to tell you right now, everything you say after this, you will be recorded by the FDA. And I'm like thinking to my head, well, why is the FDA recording me? So I had gone there to hit me in the leg in case I said something wrong. And I remember we were sitting down. And as we were sitting down, I had told them, I said, well, you know, in 1996, you guys put folic acid in the food. And we know now that folic acid is deadly for probably 100% of the population. And he looked at me and he smirked and he said, well, we knew that um, folic acid in the 1950s was not good for up to 80% of the population. That's when I said, now I know 100%. And I said, so why are you putting it in the food? And I'm so glad Dawn was sitting down there with me. And, and, and he just winked and he grinned. Like, oh, we're doing it to make people sick, to make money off of them. And, um, you know, um, these people have the methylfolate. And what they, what they were trying to do is basically... Um, get it to where everybody would cut off their folate metabolism and they would need prescription methylfolate, but there was this company out of Italy called Quattrofolate, okay? And, um, well, Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, out of Italy, and, and their brand was called Quattrofolate. And they have the methylfolate that crosses the blood-brain barrier, um, like four to five times more effectively than Mark's brand. And they had cock-blocked them for over 11 years not to be able to put out their product. And they finally went and got it out, and they started giving it to vitamin distributors. Where And then Mark's lobbyists kept on trying to come in and shut them down. And it, it was just, it was so insane um, watching this. Because, um, you know, looking at folic acid, when you go look at a child with severe autism, they have... Um, they, almost every one of them, if you go do a spinal tap on them, they have cerebral folate deficiency. And what folic acid does, when you consume folic acid, it prevents folate from crossing the blood-brain barrier. So let's say you give, you give your children their Cheerios and stuff that are loaded with folic acid, and then you go to give them their leafy greens that have folate in it. The folic acid that they just took, their body's saying, oh, my God, this is a folate we don't recognize. Kick it out. So when they go to eat their leafy greens, beans, berries, and eggs that are loaded with the right folate, their body's still producing these antibodies saying it's a bad folate. Get it out of there. Oh, gosh. Um, they know exactly what they're doing. And in 1996, when we, when we synthetically fortified it, scientists were yelling, you're going to give people colon and kidney cancer. Well, um... Mexico decided to synthetically fortify their food with folic acid. And what they had noticed, they kept an eye on it. Within one year of synthetic fortification, colorectal cancer tripled. Right, so what they have done, okay, it, all this started in the 90s, their agenda to say, hey, there's too many people here in the world. Let's start with the chemtrails. Let's start putting the glyphosate, spraying it on the food since it shuts down sulfation. Um, causes hyperoxaluria. Let's um, start injecting injecting the um, animals with antibiotics, which will shut off the glyoxylate metabolic process as well. Let's go give people fluoride, which fluoride is an antibiotic and shuts down the glyoxylate metabolic process. Um, let's go put folic acid in their food. Let's make disease so we can have hundreds of hospitals and everything else. Now let's go in with vaccines. You know, I mean, I mean, they know exactly what they're doing, and they all started it around the mid-90s. All this started around the mid-90s. 
if you go back and you go back about 30 years and, and you walk out your front door and you go start knocking on doors, who's had cancer, who's had cancer, you're like, if you find one person that's had cancer. Now you go wake up today and you go knock on your door on, on doors down the neighborhood, about every third house is had cancer. Well, and they're saying that by, by 2020, one in two of us will get cancer in our lifetime. So half the population I, 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 is destined I, you know, to get it. the interesting things that researchers noticed when they restored the soil and the microbes in the soil after Monsanto was done completely sucking the life out of a plot of land and threw it away. Uh, one researcher who will remain anonymous is doing experiments and this is very interesting. Pay attention here. But when um, she started buying out all these um, farms, and what they started doing was soil transplants. They started going to um, regions of the world where the soil was healthy and taking the, the microbiome from the soil and placing it into the soil over um, these destroyed areas that they bought out. And within two years, they totally removed any sign of this glyphosate and other stuff by doing these soil transplants. Like somebody would do a... Um, fecal transplant with a bad gut, that's what they were doing with soil. And um, What, anyway, you mean there's hope for the world yet? Yeah, what they have <laughs> discovered, you ready for this? Everybody's yelling how, how fuel and cars are destroying the atmosphere right now. Guess what they discovered when they did this? That the carbon problems in the atmosphere totally, totally normalized within two years 
of replacing, doing the soil transplants in the soil over the atmosphere of, of the area. Like, um, there right now, and like um, upstate New York and stuff, buying out a lot of the farms, and there's no there's no carbon issues over the atmosphere there where they're buying out all the farms. What I say is probably 90% responsible for what's happening up in this. That's why when I tell people when they follow this, um, who, who was ex-vice president? Uh, Al Gore. Um, Al Gore, when they follow his, oh my God, carbon, carbon, carbon. Let me tell you what he is. He is the Susan G. Komen of the shit. He is pure evil and Glyphosate is the biggest, and, what, and you hear nobody talking about, is the biggest thing responsible for this. I, I work with some big scientists. I don't know if you've ever heard of Stephen Franz, F-R-A-N-T-Z. Stephen Franz, I've um, got an etymology degree from John Hopkins. He worked for the CDC, and they came to him, and they told him they brought him in this bat. And pe what people don't understand, for instance, is um, the bee. They think the honeybee is... What pollinates things in the in, in on the American continent? Let me tell you what the number one pollinator on the American continent is. It's the bat. Okay, and when they brought him these bats with all this white fungus on him, he's the one that um, came out and said, "Hey, the bats are dying from glyphosate. The mold is coming from glyphosate." And he found approximately 287 species that were going to are going to be extinct within the next 20 years, and, and all of them are major pollinators, many of them are major pollinators to our, um, to our crops and our, our, our plants, our trees, our fruit trees, everything, and um, he, said, he said, if you don't do something now, humanity as we know it will be gone in about, the life on earth will be gone in about 30, 40 years. And they told him to retract everything that he said. I guess they didn't think he was going to figure it out. They um, they told him to retract everything he said and or take early retirement. He took early retirement. And just in case you're asking yourself, what does the EPA have to say about all this? They need to know. And I'm going to tell you about demons right now. No, I know. I know they're real, but go ahead. I, I, you want to talk to the EPA? Let me tell you. I, I, um, now, when you, when my deadly roundup comes out, you're not going to see this part because they wouldn't let Philip Adrian Booth or the news reporters in to the EPA. They handpicked a handful of us. They picked Zen Honeycutt, Ben Dobson, Barry Rain, Cynthia Smith, who works with me, myself, Anthony Sample, and they, they tapped Anthony Sample in through the internet because Anthony will not walk into D.C. because he knows they'll kill him. And then, um, and then Stephanie Sneff, and we were the only ones allowed into this EPA meeting. And they put us into this building. Um, when they escorted us to this building, this building was huge. And when we walked in, it blank, and you saw a picture of Obama and Biden there. And there's this guy at a security desk, and there's all the Secret Service, and they're taking all of our IDs. They've already checked us out. They just want to hold on to our IDs, bring us up, put these little necklaces on us. They bring us to the fourth floor, and they bring us to this room. In this room, we walk in it. There's this big oval table, and there is the head of the EPA and his intern. And then there's two men, a woman, and two men, all on the board of the EPA. So there's six of them all together, the head of the EPA and then the four men and the woman. And they're all at this oval table, and they sit us around on the other side side of the over table facing them and they're all sitting down when we walk in and I can remember they would whisper things they wouldn't let us see their mouth they would just turn their heads and whisper things and then the head of the EPA would I can remember Senator Ted Lieu a congressman Ted Lieu from California was there with his um assistant and and he said Ted you can leave now Ted was supposed to stay in there with us and he got real nervous he's like okay 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 and he ran out the door and Stephen Francis with us also. And we're all sitting down there, and they're all wanting to hear what we know. And I can remember, for instance, when I'm writing, I mean, when I was sitting there and it was my turn to talk, I'm, I'm starting to say things, and they would just raise up their hand, tell me to stop, and they would put their hands over their mouth, and they would whisper down the pipeline, and then the head of the EPA would say, well, 
This is what they want to ask you. And I'm like wondering, why are these people not letting me see their mouth? Why aren't they talking? All right. And, and I noticed the two men, the woman and the two men, they all looked like they had makeup on them and they had big, big hands. And at the end, they all stood up and all four of those men and that one woman were all between six and seven foot fucking tall. They would not let us see their mouth, anything. They were between six and seven foot tall. They kept their mouths covered? They kept their mouths covered. And, and you know, somebody told me, oh, maybe they couldn't talk out loud because... And I said, no, this was a secret room. This was a covered room. When we all walked out, Tuna, when we were walking back down the street to get on the subway to go back to our room, you know, we all sat down and we met at Whole Foods. They have a little outside eating area there at Whole Foods by George Washington um, Medical School. And we were we were like about a block away from Watergate where we were staying. And we're all sitting down and, and you know, I mean, my friend Dawn that was down here, she I brought her up with me and I brought in so many pictures. And they saw our faces and they were like, what's, what's going on? Oh, we didn't get through to them. And then I just sat and I said, okay, I've got to say this, guys. I said, because I know I'm here with some pretty level-headed, sane people. I said, what was in that room that we talked to? That was not normal. And then Stephanie said, well, maybe they're genetically modified humans. And I said, I think they were demons. I said, I, I felt demons. I, this is what I'm thinking. Do you think that maybe they genetically modified the human to put the demon in the human? That maybe that makes sense. They've been at that game for a long time. Those were demons. That is what, what is running our government is nothing but demons. Because a lot of them were trying to say, oh, genetically modified humans. She said, no, they're demons. All right, well, you've got to pull up Anthony Samson on Lincoln and see what he used to do. This man is one of the smartest men in the world, and we work with him, too. And what he did is um, he saw that his uh, he got into chemicals and toxins, and then he tapped into what was going on with glyphosate and chemtrails and all kinds of other stuff. And he has, him and Stephanie Sinaf have so many peer-reviewed papers out there, it's not funny. And he, he's got a... Um, and he works with a guy named Marty Michener. I don't know if you know who Marty Michener is. Marty Michener has um, two degrees, one from Harvard and one from Cornell. And he studies he studies bugs and plants and soil. And he's actually working a lot with what's going on with this pipeline stuff in the Indians um, right now. Um, but he, he's another guy that works with me. And all these, all these people have woken up. And, and they are just annihilating us and just tearing the shit out of us right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've got arrows on my back. You can see me walking down the street with arrows on my back. Yeah. Kill this bitch. She's going to bring us down. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to. I'll yell in the streets till the day I die. Glyphosate kills. It's deadlier than Agent Orange and DDT. <laughs> just know I've never committed suicide, guys. Oh yeah, and we're witnesses to uh, to to that. I mean, just the whole this whole like oh they they committed suicide when they're uh, on the brink of sharing whistleblowing information like that has got to be discredited. Nobody you know, who has that much information ever. Friends die in their sleep in the past fourteen months. How many exactly? About forty. That's ridiculous and outrageous. I'm so sorry. Yeah, some of them in their thirties die in their sleep. We we are being mass exterminated. We are being poisoned. The way I put it is that um, we probably, you know, we've done built their technology. Now we can go bye bye. The compliant can stay. People are like, um, you know, aren't you scared that um, because of what you say that they're just going to take you out? And I said, well, if they do, they do. I came here to do my job. I said, aren't you scared if you're not here doing what you're supposed to be doing, that you're not going to have repercussions when you leave? Did you know that Sandy Hook was a staged event where no children died? That the school had been closed since 2008 and there were no children there? Thirteen experts, including six Ph.D., current or retired college professors, proved that it was a two-day FEMA drill presented to the public as a real event. We even have the manual. 
There was a rehearsal on the 13th, going live on the 14th. Some participants became confused and put up donation sites the day before. Even the shooter was recorded as dying before the event. You have been played by Eric Holder and Barack Obama to confiscate your guns. Don't let yourself be played. Nobody died at Sandy Hook. If you're interested in the book described by Dr. James H. Fetzer, then contact me. My name is Gary King. I live in New Orleans, and my number is 504-298-6791 if you'd like to come by the bookstore, or you can go online at patriotradiobooks.com. That's patriotradiobooks.com.